Welcome to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, unless you're making corn grill. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Um, and a person ready to talk turkey. Um, today's guest is third-generation turkey farmer, John Peterson. Welcome to Food Freedom Radio, John. Thank you so much, Laura. I'm happy to have the chance to be on and always happy to have the chance to talk turkey as we head to Thanksgiving. Right, right. And we're so happy to have uh, have, have you with. And uh, I mean, you are an independent turkey farmer, third generation. Is that common? Is that the way that most turkey and poultry are sold in our big box stores? Well, the uh, the short answer is no, that's, that's not common. Uh, we're increasingly rare. I oftentimes say we're kind of the, you know, the dinosaurs uh, left in this type of farming, but there's actually a a lot that we could unpack there. Um, But I mean, first of all, the way that we grow our turkeys is is pretty uncommon today, Uh, still having our birds outdoors and uh, raised without antibiotics. Um, And we can, like I say, jump into that more deeply as we go. But the other piece that's so uncommon is that we are an independent farm that sells directly to consumers. Um, You know, I think we've all driven down the road and seen a you know a farm on the roadside um, and have no ability to purchase product that that farm may grow. Um, most commonly in today's sort of integrated and consolidated ag space, um, most of those farms are selling to a processor where you know their product loses, loses any identity from the farm. And so it's incredibly unique for us to really be connected, we'd like to say from farm to table, uh, where we're the you know we're the grower. And uh, we know where our turkey ends up, and likewise, a, a consumer um, has traceability back to both where the turkey came from and the practices that were used um, in raising it. So it's not only our practices, but also the model that we're using that um, that makes us awfully rare in today's world. And this knowing each other and and knowing where our food comes and knowing our farmers, it's 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 very rich on so many levels. Absolutely, and uh, I think. Oftentimes, it's approached from the standpoint of the consumer and consumers wanting to know um, not only where did this come from, but how, you know how was this animal or, or produce, whatever the case might be, how how was it raised, how was it cared for, and how you know how was the the land treated and the workers treated, um, and I think that's a good lens to to use to think of it from the consumer standpoint. But I'll just say, uh, as a farmer, I think it's one of the things that is so missing for most. Most farmers, the vast majority of farmers today, regardless of whether they're, you know, raising a poultry or livestock or a, a crop or produce, um, they of course have no idea where that product ends up, um, or who you know who might be enjoying it or appreciating the, you know, the effort that that farmer has put into to growing it. And so, you know, not only is it valuable for the consumer, but I think on the other side of that equation, you know, as a as a farm family, we take a lot of pride in knowing where you know, where our turkey ends up and knowing that it is both nourishing folks and uh, that, that people see the difference in how we're doing things. So uh, you're right, that relationship is important on, on both sides of the equation, Laura. And as you were talking, I don't remember who said it, and I know a lot of people have said it over the years, but, you know, food and how we cook is a way of showing love. Absolutely. And, yeah. when- and uh, certainly so is the, you know, the raising of that, uh, you know, of that, in our case, turkey. Um, it's uh, what we what we invest our, our time and energy and care in doing each day. Yeah, and so um, you have an event coming up, Turkey Fest. So let's talk about Turkey Fest. Yeah, so uh, we do have Turkey Fest coming up. And uh, on one hand, um, this is a, an event that we do every year. And so uh, I think this will be our 
13th annual uh, Turkey Fest celebration. I believe that is correct. Somehow, um, somehow, yeah. somehow, uh, this happening uh, tw- in the 13th year in 2020 seems to. <laughs> uh, we might be cursed, right? Yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah, um, but uh, traditionally we've held it the weekend before Thanksgiving, and it's always been a, a festive chance for folks to come and pick up a fresh turkey right from the farm. Gets back to that relationship piece, right? Come right to the farm to pick up your turkey. Um, and historically, we've also had a lot of other um, sort of holiday accompaniments uh, going along with with the event. We've had live music. We've had other local food vendors uh, sampling product. Um, of course, some of that has needed to shift for 2020. Um, anybody who's visited Turkey Fest in a year prior knows that oftentimes we've had a lot of people uh, filled into a small space, our, our on-farm store, um, and that, of course, did not feel like a responsible way to, to handle turkey pickups this year. So we've actually um, reinvented our Turkey Fest celebration um, into a drive-through curbside kind of event where guests will actually pull into the farm and make a few stops along our farm driveway um, to be able to pick up both their fresh Thanksgiving turkey um, that they would have pre-ordered uh, to let us know what, what size they were looking for and what, what day and time they were planning to come. Um, but then, in addition, they could add any other local foods um, from, the, you know, from our on-farm market, about 100 other local farmers and food makers that we source from. Um, all of those items could then be added to that pickup as well. So um, it's sort of a one, you know, one-stop shop uh, right on the farm without ever having to leave your car. And, uh, well, we'll miss some of the, the good face-to-face um, and look forward to that again in 2021. We hope this is a way to retain the tradition of coming right to the farm. And we know we'll find a lot of joy in uh, seeing people through through the car windows and knowing that they're they're picking up their fresh Thanksgiving turkey. And, of course, your turkeys are also available at uh, the local co-ops or Seward Co-ops, so people um, don't have to drive to Cannon Falls to get your turkeys. You can get them also at Seward Co-op. Yes, you're correct, Laura, and that's. I'm glad that you mentioned that um, because this year, more than ever, when you know travel is disrupted and uh, you know people are staying closer to home and um, all of those things, we we want to make sure that people do know that um, if you're not able to come to Cannon Falls um, or have a, a store close to you, um, all of the Twin Cities Natural Food Co-ops, all of the Kowalskis um, carry our turkeys, and uh, actually on our website there's a locator, um, so folks are from. Um, outside of the metro, there's a locator that they can visit to see where our turkey might be found close to them. But if people are ready for a drive, and I know, I think people are starting to feel kind of caught in their homes too. So tell us how to get to Cannon Falls from the Twin Cities. How do you get to your well, store? Yeah, we are fortunate that Cannon Falls is a nice, easy drive. And I think you're right, Laura, a lot of a lot of people are happy to jump in the car and uh, maybe not so much when it's when it's snowing, but on nice autumn days, be able to take a short uh, destination trip outside of the metro. And uh, our farm is just about 45 minutes south of the Twin Cities, uh, straight south on Highway 52, um, about midway between the Twin Cities and Rochester. And uh, our farm happens to be located um, really close to Highway 52. So it's it's easy to get to, well-signed. Um, and uh, again, this, you know, this year is a little different than most, but there are lots of other great things happening in Cannon Falls. If, if people do want to make a, a bit of a day out of it, we have a great winery and a brewery and a uh, cheesemakers that run an ice cream and coffee shop as well. Um, so plenty of uh, plenty of good reasons to, to make a visit out of it. Um, and if not, if not in this disrupted year, certainly to remember for, for the future. 
And some nice parks and just walking uh, around uh, the downtown area is also very nice. Yeah, correct. And if it's a if it's a nice day, um, you know, pre Thanksgiving is always a, can be beautiful and can be can be chilly. Um, but you're right; the Cannon Valley Trail um, starts right in the heart of downtown Cannon Falls and runs along the Cannon River. Um, in fact, goes all the way to Red Wing to the Mississippi River. But it is a really nice uh, walk along the river and the the natural falls um, right through town. So, good chances to be outside as well. Great. Um, so tell us again, and if someone's going to go to Turkey Fest, they do have to go online first. Correct. Yeah. So we, we request that people go online in advance um, and tell us both the size of turkey that they, that they plan to pick up. And uh, the other important piece for us this year with this uh, curbside drive-through uh, setup is also to let us know what day and time they plan to uh, plan to pick up. So um, it's a it's a simple form. You're not uh, no no payment required or anything like that. We'll handle all of those pieces uh, when folks arrive to pick up their turkey. But um, available right on our website, um, and you just pop in and tell us the the size of fresh turkey you're looking for and the the day and time you plan to pick up, and uh, then you're all set until you stop down to visit. Yeah, and uh, there's no open public bathrooms because of the COVID. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, uh, funny enough, that's one of the things that we really talked about a lot um, <laughs> was how we could how we could do that because we do we do know that if people have been in the car, um, they they might need a pit stop. We all we all know how that goes. Um, but unfortunately, because we've we're also sort of shifting how things work in the store to be able to accommodate all of the curbside um, and uh, you know picking and packing all of the groceries and wanting to make sure that that's all done in a in a safe, contactless environment. Um, we have unfortunately decided that we won't be able to provide public restrooms. Yeah, but uh, staying safe in these times are so, so important. And um, so um, I want to talk more about um, uh, the history of Ferndale um, turkey. Um, so your your grandfather started this with a simple vision of healthy turkeys affordable to American families. Yeah, my my grandpa was named Dale, um, and uh, I'll give away the punchline here and say that shortly after he started our farm, he met my grandmother, and her name was Fern, and so Fern and Dale were my grandparents, so that's where Ferndale comes from, and of course, a fun story and a story we're awfully proud of, um, that my grandparents got us started 80 years ago, 81 years ago, um, and uh, we're, we're still here and at it today, um, you know, farming on the same farm and in the same way that, that they did. And uh, you're right, just a quick bit of background about my, my grandfather. He grew up um, in a big family in rural North Dakota um, during the Depression years. And, of course, you know, food was scarce and meat was particularly scarce. And so he saw uh, turkey as a way to to raise a, an inexpensive protein so the average American family would be able to, um, to put meat on the table and uh, the practices that he used when he got us started in 1939 um, were not unique. He was not trying to go into a specialty market per se. Um, everybody in that era would have grown their turkeys outdoors. Um, John, John we're going to take a break and we're going to come back and hear more about the history. Uh, we're talking about Turkey Fest uh, with John Peterson, a third generation turkey farmer from Cannon Falls. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio. Like endless rain into a paper cup 
they slither wildly as they slip away across the universe. Of sorrow, waves of Welcome joy back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Headland, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap unless you're doing corn grill, and a person on Talking Turkey. Today's uh, um, guest is third-generation turkey farmer John Peterson. And John, when we went on break, we were talking about your grandfather. So let's talk some more about your grandfather and his vision um, how, how did he start this turkey farm, and what was life like for him? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think when we went to break, I was, I was sort of saying that uh, you know when he got started in 1939, um, growing turkeys in the the way that he did wouldn't have been unique at all. Um, you know, turkeys would have been grown outdoors; they would have been grown without antibiotics or growth promotants. Um, and so he didn't see himself as somebody who was entering into a specialty market. Um, I don't think he would have, you know, would have considered himself to be a pioneer in that regard. Um, but the funny thing that's happened, and you know this, Laura, but after the, over the last 80 years, it's really the agricultural world around us that has changed so much. Um, and so we sort of now find ourselves doing something that's very different uh, than the mainstream. Um, but it's it's not because we've sought that out so much as the fact that um, you know, most most poultry production has moved to confinement, and most uh, poultry production has moved to more of a you know vertically integrated uh, type of a system. And uh, so today, um, what we're doing looks looks awfully unique, um, but it wasn't necessarily by design. Um, I think we've just maintained the same practices and values um, that we got started with, and uh, that brings us to today, where uh, where consumers are increasingly interested and aware of. Uh, where their where their food is being grown and how it's being produced, and uh, thankfully for us, we've we've been able to find um, a customer base that appreciates the difference and and supports us and allows us to sustain the practices that that we have used for all of these years. So let's let's really explore what those differences are. Um, so one of the differences is access to the outdoors and fresh pasture. Pasture. So how does that work at Ferndale Turkey? Yeah, it, it looks. Um, there are a couple different ways it looks um, based on the time of year. So I'll tell you, um, like early spring and uh, late fall, our turkeys would be indoor-outdoor where they would they would always have access to the outdoors um, and they would have a, a building that they could come back to um, on days where the, you know, the weather changes quickly or, um, you know, that early spring, late fall, you get the, you know, freak snowstorm or something like that. Uh, we need to have uh, cover that they can come back to. But um, that, uh, that's sort of our, you know, shoulder season kind of, a, an environment where they're indoor outdoor. And then during the peak summer months, we move our turkeys completely out to range, um, where they're on a, a pasture. It's called range in the world of poultry, but, uh, but they're out on a pasture and, uh, they have portable shelters, portable feeders, portable waters. And we actually move all of that equipment and the birds onto fresh grass each week, all summer long. So, then it's a rotational uh, system where we're never overusing any one part of our range ground and uh, keeping the turkeys on both good dry grass and uh, good forage. And uh, both of those um, environments, whether they're completely out on pasture or you know heading toward, toward Thanksgiving, the indoor-outdoor, um, our standard for our free-range program is built upon the organic standard. Um, and so all of our uh, free-range um, practices exceed uh, what an organic uh, turkey would would need to do to achieve organic certification. 
And that's important to know because I know some of the stuff I've heard some you know rumblings that um, you know what we would sometimes think of you know so, some sometimes there's some almost organic washing going on. Um, and with some of these large entities, you're like, well, that's not what I thought I was buying when I was buying cage free. I didn't think that meant they had just a little um, little area that they might be able to get to, but most of them are not. So, to and then that's part of what we talked about earlier is to actually know each other and to know the standards are are critical. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean we we want to have integrity behind um, that label claim on the package. Um, I mean, I, I I think you can. Trust, uh, you know, trust the packaging because USDA does have, you know, does have standards. Um, but you're exactly right. Um, there are, you know, there are different uh, degrees to which these things may be being done. And uh, so we want to make sure that we're doing it in a way that we would be, we would be happy and proud to show any of our, any of our customers what's happening. So having the turkeys outside and rotated is better for the land? We sure believe so. Yeah, we're we're really fortunate. Um, you know, I talked about my grandpa earlier, but he picked a farm that was so well suited to do exactly what we're doing here. We have really sandy soil, which means that our turkeys are are on good dry ground. Even you know, even when we get heavy rains uh, or lots of precipitation, it drains really well. Um, you know, turkeys are like any species where we we don't want them out um, in mud holes or out uh, you know out where disease could be easily spread. So I'll say at the outset, we're really fortunate to have good ground to do what we're doing. Um, and we know that that's, that's an advantage, um, sort of a, you know, secret weapon that, that my grandpa was wise enough to identify all those, all those decades ago. Um, but we do believe that it's, it's better for our ground because it's really a, a closed loop. Um, you know, one of the, one of the issues that most farmers deal with is what, you know, what to do with manure, um, and uh, in our system, our turkeys are fertilizing when they're out on pasture. They're fertilizing the ground for the turkeys that will come right behind it. And we never need to use any other chemical inputs um, or anything synthetic at all on our ground um, because the, the turkeys close that loop on both sides. And that being humble and learning from nature instead of trying to control nature is so key. I mean, I was really happy that Dr. Rattan Law won the 2020 Food Prize because I think it indicates a, a real shift that's going on. And again, uh, Dr. Rattan Law, um, he talks about soil first. And yes, when you have animals on the soil, it helps because the manure, like you say, is closed system, but that's actually naturally fertilizing the land. And it, it helps regenerate the soil. Yeah, absolutely. Nope we uh, we have beautiful you know lush green uh, pasture grass uh, when we when we first let our birds out and then they you know they both eat it down and wear it down. Um, but all the while they're they're fertilizing it uh, for the, the flock that will come behind them. We you know we do our part by moving them across the ground at the right pace um, and then giving it enough rest between between flocks running across it. Um, but you're right. Nature nature takes care of all the rest if if we manage it properly. So sometimes people use the word regenerative farming. Um, uh, like the CEO of General Mills talks about how about half of the topsoil in the world has been depleted, and so this type of regenerative farming that's promoted by experts like the, like the winner of the 2020 World Food Prize, Dr. Rattan Law, um, it does so much benefits. It helps water. It helps counter climate change. This is what your grandfather was doing, though, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, well, you know, like I said earlier, you know, doing doing it before it had a name or before it was uh, was cool. 
um, this this was farming. Um, and uh, again, I think that it's more of a more of an insight into how much has changed in the world of farming um, than you know than how uniquely we're doing things um, because this is this is how how he did it because of, it was the way that it was done. Yeah. So, um, and uh, from history, it's it's from 1945 to 1988, two million fewer, fewer owners of U.S. agriculture. Farmers were told to get big or get out. <sighs> that just had so many consequences, that way of thinking. Our sweetest dream is how to help small farmers and independent farmers and the whole system work in a way that honors water as life. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Headline, and with us is John Peterson, a third-generation turkey farmer. And again, Turkey Fest is coming up. Tell us a little bit about how that works. Well, our Turkey Fest process this year is going to be a little bit different, like we talked about with the with the drive-through piece. But one thing that we wanted to make sure we maintained was the chance for people to not only get their turkey, um, but be able to add any of the other local foods that we carry in our store um, into their basket. We know that's one of the traditions that um, now I mentioned earlier in years past. We would have had you know, farmers and food makers here providing samples. And uh, we'll look forward to doing that again in a future year. Um, but we didn't want to lose that, uh, you know, that piece of support for all of the farmers and food makers that we work with. Um, of course, we're probably best known for turkey um, because that's what we grow ourselves. But we knew way back when we, when we opened our on-farm store in 2018, or 2008 rather, um, that uh you know there were a lot of other good things happening in the world of local foods and uh so we you know we carry a great mix of other local pastured meats and dairy and uh, seasonal produce and other specialty foods um you know not only to build a a great mix but really to provide good support uh for the other independent uh local food makers that are using some some heritage and distinctive practices to produce a lot of a lot of great foods so tell us about some of those um, companies that you sell, some of the other products available. Yeah, it's a, it's a great mix, and I think sometimes people are surprised um, by how many truly local foods you can find. Um, I think sometimes there's this, this notion, and I, I hope that this is being done away with as, as we go forward, but I think there, you know, there has been this notion that it's hard to find local foods in Minnesota because you know we don't have a 12-month growing season like they would in some parts of the country. Um, but I, I would argue that you know our access to good local and sustainable meats um, and dairy and whole grains um, would be the envy of most parts of the country. And uh, so, so that's really where we focus a lot of our, you know, a lot of our time and energy in sourcing because because we grow turkeys. Um, you know, we try to identify folks that are using similar practices um, and are right around here. And so it could be anything from a, you know, fresh steak or a pack of ground beef, um, you know, to to lamb or bison um, or pork or chicken, um, and then some unique sausages. We work with some, you know, local smokehouses and uh, sausage makers um, for some pretty unique uh, items like that. And then, of course, you know, great, (laughs) great cheeses. I'm a a cheese lover, and so we, we take a lot of pride in our cheese selection, too. Um, carrying, trying to carry all the best in, in local cheese as well. 
Um, and I, I like I like whole grain mealing, and I've, I've kind of joked about this corn gruel. But um, one of the sad things about COVID and this time is, in some sometimes the stores you could see almost a ramen noodle rush, and and a lot of people are really struggling with hunger right now. And and so, is there a way to reach eat healthy and organic and local? And I think there is, and it takes some creativity and innovation. But one of the things, and this is actually another family member stumbled on it, and it's so easy. Uh, I saw on your website that you can get two pounds of um, cornmeal for uh, under three dollars. And how many meals could you make out of that? And a really simple kind of polenta type thing to do is just to take a little bit of cornmeal, some water, mic it for a few minutes, stir it up, and then add whatever favorite seasoning or a can of creamed corn or if you want to add some meat. Or There's so many different recipes you can actually do with cornmeal. So there are ways to actually eat healthy and local. Do you agree with that? I mean that gets back again to what your grandfather said, how to make food affordable for all. Absolutely, yeah. You you made that, that link for me, Laura, but I – I couldn't agree more, and I, you know, obviously this sounds like I'm wearing my, uh, you know, my turkey farmer hat here, but it is what drew my grandpa um, to growing turkeys, and it's still what, you know, what drives us today. That turkey is, um, you know, even even with the extra, you know, extra labor and uh, you know way that we're doing things, it's it's still a very affordable um, source of protein. And so we hear the same thing, like with our ground turkey um, being a good, you know, a good for instance there, where it can be a very economical uh, ground meat. And, uh, you know, with Thanksgiving ahead, I know I always think about this at Thanksgiving, you know, most people who are buying a whole turkey, um, if, uh, you know, if they're thoughtful about how they're preparing it, you can produce a lot of meals um, out of a whole turkey. And uh, your your cost per pound is, is incredibly low uh, for all of the meals that, that can come from a whole turkey. So you're right, uh, we're in a we're in a time of increased, uh, you know, food scarcity, and we're, we're keenly aware of that, you know, some of it, of course, being right in our own backyard um, and looking for ways that, that we can help. But um, there are ways that people can both uh, eat well and uh, and not have to break the bank to do so. Well, and one thing I mentioned earlier, um, like February or something, is we know with the COVID thing, um, I had mentioned the importance of having a 30-day food, emergency food supply or having some food. Because COVID also was kind of an eye-opener in that, um, you know, food, we can't take food for granted. Not at all. And, uh, and I mean, on one hand, we, we saw that. I mean, even in our in our on-farm store and in our, you know, wholesale business selling turkey to other, you know, co-ops and natural food stores, we saw that, uh, you know, mid to late March period where uh, where folks did realize that it, it would be wise to have some food on hand. We saw that kind of stock-up mentality happen. Um, but the other thing that was happening at that time was that so much of our our food system uh, seemed to be breaking down, um, you know, in the you know in the short term. Um, and so, you know, back to the point of you know, us being independent and uh, you know not not a part of one of the big vertically integrated uh, supply chains. I I do think that that period exposed the vulnerability of having um, such concentration in our in our world of food. And uh, you know a few a few big players um, controlling at least in the world of meat um, the way the vast majority of the of the animals are are raised and processed and sold uh, in this country. Uh, global food a uh, global Minnesota held um, a bunch of virtual events for um, of, of Global Food Day, and one of the things they talked about is food being used as a weapon. 
And I mean, those those are some really dark concepts to go into. But people can go onto global um, global Minnesota's website and look at all that conversation about Global Food Day. Um, but one of the things that is so vital is how, and this is what Food Freedom Radio has been talking about um, since our inception, almost I don't know um, how many years ago. But um, but perhaps the most vital work is how do we create this self sufficient ecosystem? And this is exactly what Ferndale's been doing. How do we how do we grow most of our food here so that we know each other? And and have that economy where we're um, it's almost like a care first economy where you know we're feeding ourselves in a way that honors each other and that we know each other right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I agree. I, I will say it's it's not easily done, and that you know our our food infrastructure is not set up this way. You know, the ironically, the cheapest food oftentimes comes from the farthest away. Um, but we have really, uh, you know, tried to put our flag in the ground on local and, uh, not only in the products that we carry in the store, but I think one of the best ways that we've been able to, um, you know, to believe that we're, we're making a difference is all of our processing with our turkey products is done at independent Minnesota turkey process or independent Minnesota processors. Um, some that would handle other, other species, not just turkey, um, but, you know, everything from, uh, you know, our primary processing facility to, you know, the Lawrence Meats in Cannon Falls that makes all of our smoked turkey breasts or a facility that makes sausages for us, all all of those are fellow independent Minnesota companies. And so we do believe that, you know, the economic piece of sustainability is important, too. And if we can help sustain these fellow Minnesota businesses that are charting a similar path, um, we hope that we're we're helping to fuel that ecosystem that that we want to see here. Yeah. So here's one statistic um, that uh, the four large meat packers companies went from controlling um, less than a third of the market in 1980, so not that long ago, to uh, well over 70, 80 percent today. So that type of concentration. I don't know. It just, it's not something I want to support. I mean, other people may want to support it, but I don't want to support it because I don't trust it. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and I, again, think that's part of what, what was revealed um, earlier this spring and, uh, again, gives us uh, more encouragement to, you know, to stay on the, the path that we are on, um, doing something we believe very differently. And now I want to talk about let's get rid of some turkey stuff. Um, so we've talked about that the turkeys are outside with fresh pasture and also no antibiotics. Yes. So again, there's a there's a couple different layers that you know that we can unpack this one on. But um, you know, over the over the course of time, uh, you know, poultry were oftentimes being routinely fed antibiotics just to speed their growth, um, not for any sort of a you know, uh, medical or therapeutic kind of a reason just to, you know, just to speed growth. And I, I do think that that has been, um, you know, on the decline over the past number of years. But, um, you know, in the in the world of conventional poultry, um, you know, there are still plenty of plenty of reasons that a, a farmer might use antibiotics. And uh, we as a family are so proud uh, that our raised without antibiotics claim is a start to finish, never, ever, um, USDA certified, literally starting with the egg in the incubator all the way through to the finished product, um, ensuring that our turkeys have never had um, antibiotics or growth promotants. And, uh, you know, I mentioned the growth promoting piece earlier, but, you know, for us, um, it's really a a check on our our husbandry and our welfare 
um, to say that we're, we're able to grow turkeys um, in partnership with nature in a good environment um, and provide everything that, that they need uh, without needing, um, you know, antibiotic interventions. Um, so, so it's a lot of, a lot of pride for us, um, not only on the growth promoting piece, um, but to say that we're, we're keeping our birds well uh, without the need of anything artificial. Yeah, there's been a lot written about that. You know, antibiotics, about 80% are used on the farm animals, and then now there's more antibiotic resistance. And so really appreciate that all your turkeys don't use antibiotics because there's so many consequences to that um, common practice. Um, another thing about your turkeys is they're deep chilled, never frozen. What does that mean? Yes, yeah, so we, uh, it's a great question um, and one that we get a lot this time of year. So we do, we do have frozen products at other points in the year, of course. If you want to buy a, you know, a frozen turkey in, uh, or a turkey in the middle of summer, it, it would in all likelihood be a frozen turkey. But this time of year, heading toward Thanksgiving, um, we, we raise flocks specifically for uh, the Thanksgiving holiday. And so we provide those as a fresh, never frozen uh, Thanksgiving turkey. And uh, you're right, Laura, the term that we use is deep chill fresh because they've never been frozen, um, but we're also not using any preservatives or anything like that. Uh, so our, our best means to ensure that they are, are fresh um, on Thanksgiving Day is to hold them at about 30 degrees or so, 30 to 32 degrees um, in our cooler. So they, of course, never freeze, but they can get um, almost a little, you know, ice crust just on the, just on the exterior um, to ensure that that they are at peak freshness um, by the time that a family sits down to, to the Thanksgiving table on Thanksgiving. So you do want to have them in the refrigerator before you put them straight in the oven? Yes. Yep. Um, you know, when, when folks pick them up here, um, we, would, we would assume that they'll take them home and store them in their refrigerator until, until the bird is ready to roast. Okay, so we got one segment left. We're going to take another break. When we come back, we're going to talk how to prepare turkey, what to do with leftover turkeys, and again, a little bit more about um, how Ferndale uh, turkey is distinctive. You're listening to uh, Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Headline, and joining us is a third center, third generation turkey farmer, John Peterson. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and joining us today is third-generation turkey farmer John Peterson uh, with Ferndale Turkey. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, so let's talk about how do you cook a turkey? Yes, well, you're probably going to tease me on this one, Laura, because I'm, I'm always uh, reluctant to give too many specifics, if only because we uh, every year hear from so many different uh, different folks who come to pick up their turkey and have so many different traditions. And uh, I always say, you know, I don't want to mess with, uh, you know, grandma's favorite recipe um, that, that's been used for generations. But we, we say that whether you're going to roast the turkey or grill the turkey, um, you know, or brine the turkey and cook it in a bag, all of these different, uh, you know, techniques that are out there, for us, the most important thing would be uh, to watch your temperature. Um, you know, if you don't have a good meat thermometer, um, pick up a good meat thermometer, uh, roast your turkey until it's 165 degrees, and uh, then pull it out. And here's the fun part. Pull it out and let it rest. Um, you don't need to immediately carve into it, particularly a turkey like ours that's non-basted. 
um, meaning it doesn't have any added water or sodium or saline. Um, if you uh, if you just let it rest um, on the countertop for 20, 30 minutes, um, let those natural juices reabsorb back into the meat um, and then carve it. Um, like I say, regardless of which of those techniques you, you choose to use, um, you should have a, a delicious, uh, naturally flavorful turkey. And again, all your uh, turkeys are chemically fr- uh, chemical nitrate-free, naturally processed. Uh, they have all had access to the outdoors. All your turkeys are free-range. Yes, and uh, I think that you know that naturally processed piece um, is is one that we didn't talk much about earlier. But you know, most most poultry um, does have some added um, you know basting, whether it's you know water or uh, you know salt water mix, um, and so. Not only does it change the the flavor and the you know nutritional uh, profile of that of that product, but gosh, we uh, we think that if you've got a, a good tasting product, why would you add anything to it? Um, it uh, it also um, you know diminishes the value of the product that you're you're purchasing some water unknowingly right along with your with your poultry product. So. So yes, uh, that is a point of difference for us that everything is naturally processed. Nothing, nothing added to it at all. And the turkeys can be pre-ordered from places like Seward Co-op. Yes. Yep. Um, we have we have on-farm pickup, but you are right. For folks uh, in the Twin Cities, uh, we're really proud of our partnerships with all of the Twin Cities natural food co-ops. Seward is a great one, um, and also all of the Kowalski stores as well. Um, it's really those those partnerships that help support a farm like ours 52 weeks a year. Um, so. Um, whether you pick it up um, right here on the farm or at one of those co-ops or grocers, um, we're equally grateful for the support. Well, and that 52 weeks of the year is, is also important because you guys have such variety of products and you have a farm market where people can buy um, products from local independent farmers. Yes, and, you know, uh, turkey can sometimes be thought of as such a, you know, seasonal product. Uh, most people don't don't think of it until we get close to Thanksgiving. Um, but of course, for us as a, you know, as a family farm, um, uh, we couldn't have, uh, all of our eggs in that one basket, so to speak. Um, sounds like I'm mixing poultry metaphors there, but, um, we, uh, we did want to uh, really seek out ways that, that people could, could consume our turkey on a more regular basis. So you're, you're right, both with our own turkey products, um, things like smoked turkey and, ground turkey and turkey sausages and, and whatnot, but also all the other products in our in our local food store um, do really make local foods available uh, 52 weeks a year, and that's the goal. And COVID um, and the virus may actually um, have an impact on Thanksgiving this year, um, maybe smaller family get-togethers. And um, I know I've, I, despite the fact that it has been three of us, we've often still cooked a big turkey um, for the three of us. And we've managed to um, consume all that turkey because we sort of plan on having leftovers. Um, so what are some of your favorite tips for leftover turkey? Well, I mentioned earlier um, that, uh, you know, if you if you find ways to utilize the whole, the whole turkey, including um, the carcass, um, it can be such an economical uh, way to get a, a lot of meals. Um, and so, you know, number one tip I would say would be, you know, hold on to the, the carcass. You can make such such great stock out of it. Um, and I, I mourn thinking of, of how many folks uh, unknowingly throw that in the garbage can um, after they've carved their turkey. 
Um, I will tell you that when it comes to leftovers, I'm oftentimes uh, fairly simple. I love a, a good, simple turkey sandwich um, with uh, you know some good bread and some delicious cheese. I mentioned my affinity for cheese earlier. Um, but uh, there are, of course, lots of great ways um, to utilize the leftovers to make, make a lot of additional good meals. Yeah, and I'm actually planning to make something for the freezer. So with the carcass, you'd make a turkey stock. How would you do your turkey stock? Um, you'd probably have to see my wife. Uh, you know, <laughs> oh, that's we won't typically make our our turkey stock actually, but uh but we we never uh we would never roast a turkey or a chicken without without then uh making delicious stock out of out of the remains. Good, good, good. Yeah, put it in a big pot with it, find your right seasonings and um and, and then plan on having a bunch of turkey stew and putting it in the freezer is what I would do. Um but the other thing I want to talk about now is all the wonderful independent businesses that you also support down there at, at the Ferndale Market. Um uh talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. Well one of the one of the fun things or ways for me to think about it is, you know, when we when we first opened the store now twelve years ago. Um, or 13 years ago, um, we spent a lot of time and energy um, trying to seek out uh, folks that you know that shared their shared our values in terms of the way that things were were being done on on farms and making food. Um, and we have really witnessed over the past decade um, a lot more um, opportunity to partner with uh, people that are doing you know new things and making new products. Um, and so we have seen a lot of shift in the landscape. Um, but our real values that we stand on, of course, are, are local, but we think it goes uh, deeper than just geography. We're looking for independent farmers, independent food makers uh, that are using distinctive practices. And so that's really how we try to define or frame up um, the types of, of products that we're excited to carry in the store and the types of farmers and food makers um, that we want to partner with uh, to carry their goods right here. So Turkey Fest is an outdoor drive through event. The event runs 9 to 6, November uh, 20th to the 27th, and people can buy both turkeys and food from independent farmers at that um, event. Absolutely. And one thing that we didn't mention earlier, but we will also have food trucks um, here on each of those days. Again, a, you know, a local uh, chef or caterer um, that will be here each of those days um, so that people who do uh, perhaps drive some, some distance or want to make a destination out of it, like we talked about, Laura, um, would be able to, in addition to getting their, their turkey and their other local foods, um, would be able to grab a bite to eat uh, for the ride home as well. Homemade apple pie, 10 bucks. Homemade apple pie, yeah. I, <laughs> I believe it's some of the best pie you'll get anywhere, yeah. <laughs> Um, the the folks that make it uh, run an orchard, so the apples come right from them, and then they make a a mean apple pie too. So, oh, apple pies are not mean. (laughs) (laughs) John Peterson, Ferndale. Again, where are you located? We're in Cannon Falls, Minnesota, just about forty five minutes south of the Twin Cities. And that's right off of Highway fifty two. There's signs to find um, where you are right off of Highway fifty two. Yeah, we try to have pretty good uh, breadcrumbs to lead you right from the right from the highway into into the farm. Um, so if you um, you can order your turkey from Seward Co-op or any other co-op, and uh, or you can go to Turkey Fest out through out, outdoor thri- drive-through event, um, November twentieth to the twenty seventh. Get more information at Ferndale Turkey. And thank you for listening to Food Freedom Radio.